What's up, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Bridging the Gap podcast. Um, I want to start off by saying a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening. Um, I've had over 600, 600 downloads over two episodes, um, pretty much split down down the middle. So it's a lot of repeat customers there. So I'm super happy with that. Um, who knew me talking into a microphone, smoking a joint, drinking a coffee, people would actually be listening to and interested in. Um, so that's amazing and I can't thank you guys enough. Today I've got a few things that I wanted to talk about um, and just generally talk to you about how I kind of come up with these ideas and how to think. So I kind of go about my day-to-day um, always thinking about life, always thinking about like social situations. I always find social situations pretty funny, you know, like like observing how someone says hello to another person or observing how someone doesn't approach another person. You know, you think what goes through their mind um, in order to do this. And one thing that I've been noticing a lot, um, and I think more, more so because I recognized it in myself as well, but then more I can see it across maybe some friends, uh, maybe some family, um, a lot of the older generation and just generally in, in the population. And, and what I see, and I don't want to, I don't want to, um, disrespect anyone when I say this, but what I see is like a mass social anxiety, a mass, um, population anxiety problem and and I call it anxiety because I don't know what else to call it so please forgive me um, if I'm wrong and what I notice is a lot of people um, myself included I want to I wanna state that right now and I've been there um, and I'm probably I'd hope I don't go there again but I feel like I've been there before and they have this like confrontational problem this, this, this problem with telling people how they feel telling people what they think of a situation um, and if they if they think that possibly the other person might not enjoy the answer or might not like the answer, um, they kind of just avoid that problem. Let me give you an example. Now, all these people in these stories are completely fictitious, wink, wink, hint, hint, um, and they shall be remained anonymous. Um, so don't come DMing me on Instagram, at Josh Richmond, by the way, um, if you want to find out who they are. And uh, joking. Uh, so there's this one guy. So I wanted to go into business with this guy. Um, and, and I don't think he'll be listening to this, so he won't know who he is, thank God. Um, and I messaged him three, four times, and every single time he said, yep, like, I'm very interested in this. Like, pretty, like, I'm interested. Like, he didn't say, mm, yeah, okay. He said, no, I'm interested, you know, so, okay, I was pretty, was pretty foregoing with it. Saw him a few times in person. He said he was busy at the time, said he was busy at the time, um, and, and kind of, I don't want to say fobbed me off, because I'm sure he didn't mean to fob me off, but kind of, like, put me to the backside um, a little bit. Um... And I kept going and I kept going, um, probably tried about four or five times because I was really interested. Um, and yeah, every time, like he said, yeah, let's do something. And then a week went by, two weeks went by. Oh, I've got no time. Oh, I've got no time. And it, it kind of just got me thinking in the back of my head. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want He doesn't want to accept what I've got to say. He doesn't want to hear what I've got to say. And that's absolutely fine. But just tell me. I think that problem of just telling people like to their face in person, this is the problem, in person, because now we have social media, keyboard warriors are real, and keyboard warriors take over the fucking internet, and people actually care what these keyboard warriors say, they can't even say it to your face, like, say it to my face, I'm not gonna hit you, I'm not gonna hate you, I'm not gonna dislike you, it's your opinion, I have an opinion, if they don't align, that's fine, I just want to understand what your opinion is, understand what my opinion is, if I still go with mine, that's great, if I change over to yours, that's fine, but why is everyone, like, People don't confront other people and it frustrates me. And I was that person for so, so long. 
Um, and it and it absolutely broke me and it ruined me for ages. When I was at uni, I didn't go to any fucking lectures because I was an absolute waste man. Um, and I, I must have gone to about 13 or 14 different lectures in my life. And this is the thought process that went through my head. And it's fucking mental when I think it back, right? So I got there late um, one time to my um, lectures and I kind of got, not shouted at, but like they made a point of me in front of everyone. And that fucked me up, like, I don't know what it was, where it, whether it was like, I've always been a mama's boy and I've always lived at home and I've always had everything done for me. And I got sent off, not sent off. I went to uni. Um, I was in lecture halls and, and, and with people I didn't know. And I had to fend for myself, fend for myself. I got meals cooked for me. That's, that's our idea of fending for ourselves these days. How crazy is that? Um, and I was, I must've just been like, cause I was so young, like now in hindsight, I can see, I must've been developing all of these different social anxieties um, and social in, ineptness, if that's even a word, um, in in these situations, and, and it fucked me up for a long time because I I went to that first lecture and I and I went, you know what? I can't go to the next one. Like, what if those people recognize me and they say, oh, there's that guy who is late. There's that guy who is late. Who actually cares? Like in hindsight, but at the time, that's what went through my head. You know, and then I thought, oh, I can't go to that one. And then eventually, because I'd missed like two in a row, I thought, oh, I've missed those two that I can't, I can't go to the next one. And in my head, I justified not going to these, these lectures because I hadn't been before and people would judge me for turning up. Like, why did I care so much? Why couldn't I confront my own problem, my own uh, anxiety, my own problem of not facing it? And get on with it. And, and I think that is a mass problem in society. And I, and I don't think these problems are our fault. And I don't think they're for us to get out of necessarily in that moment. I think sometimes you need to live through those moments to understand, like, not to do that again. So, like, I think I, I take value out of not going to those lectures. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? When I, when I say that out loud. I take value out of having that experience of feeling the way I did to not go to those lectures and to not meet other people um, and use that in life and make sure I don't make that mistake again because it was a mistake. I could have met so many more people at uni and um, I could have got way more out of my lectures. I could have learned more. I could have got a better grade, um, but I didn't. And then, and then when you don't and when it's done, you've got to take the positives out of what you did. So I met some amazing people. I had a great time. Uni completely transformed me. So there are pros and cons out of both of those things. Um, I think it's just a big problem in today's society. And that earlier example of where the the, the of where the, the person who shall not be named um, came up and, and couldn't confront me, really that whole situation, which went on for weeks, by the way, like five or six weeks, and and unlike uni, went on for years and years, could have been ended in in one go. You know, I could have gone to that lecture and all of those walls could have come crashing down. I could have gone and spoke to this person, or he could have come and speak spoke to me in person. And he could have just said, mm, I really appreciate your offer, um, but I'm not interested right now. Um, blah, 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 blah. We've got a relationship before, so I don't know why that can't carry on. And I think that that problem of confronting a problem or confronting something that's holding you back from doing what you, what you want to do um, needs to be addressed. And, and it's really hard to address. It's really hard to address. I don't even know how I got over my anxieties. It took me years and years to even tell my mum that I didn't go to any of his lectures. I'm pretty sure she suspected. I'm pretty sure she knew, to be honest. Um, but but that's the reality of it, and that's the reality of these of these of these interactions that we have throughout our life. Is sometimes something in our head tells us that we don't want to do that. Um, and I think where this links into my nice point, I wanted to talk about mindset um, and and the hard work and things like that. Like people have that thing in their head that stops them from waking up and hitting the ground running. You know, whether it's like, oh, I'm just gonna 
have an extra coffee and and and, and sit down for an extra ten minutes. I'm, you know what? I'm I'm actually just gonna sit here and close my eyes and try to sleep a little bit more, or I'm gonna leave that paper just until I've got a bit of time. I'm gonna finish playing this game, you know, or I'm gonna watch this Netflix series. And this this like, um, what do they call it? Procrastination nation. We are we are we live in a procrastination lifestyle you know everything we do is to kind of slow us down from getting to to where we want to go and and it's kind of crazy it's a it's a funny paradox to think about um that we all have these not all but a lot of these people have us these really strong goals and then they talk about getting there and they really want to get there but they can't actually apply themselves to get there they can't wake up and hit the ground running and write all those plans that need to be written and they leave those emails to the end of the day and all that kind of thing um, and it sounds like I'm hitting on people, but guys, I fucking did this for so long. You, I wish, I wish, I wish that we had, we had these uh, machines that you could put a little glass on your head, a little glass on my head, and you could just understand a period of my time and what was going through my head um, and what, and what I actually didn't do that either. For so long when I started my coaching business, I would leave, you know, I'd leave emails a few days until I replied, you know, and I, and I would, and I would forget um, about writing training programs and I wouldn't write down what I had to do every day and I'd, I'd end up going to bed and be like, oh, I forgot that. And it was just ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous. Um, and, and you've got this like huge hard work movement coming at the moment with Gary Vee um, and, and the whole, oh, you can sleep when you're dead and blah, blah, blah. I think it's bullshit, but the principle and the motivation behind what he is saying and the the idea of what he is saying is great. Um, and actually, he himself is the person that kicked me out of this uh, lazy mentality. Don't get me wrong, I love to be lazy and I enjoy being ra- lazy when I can be lazy and when I've done things that allow me to be lazy that's fine. You know, enjoy that. That's just a part of what I want to do in my lifetime. So I'm going to do that. Some people don't like to do that. That's fine. I understand that. Um, but his ethic of you're going to die one day and having that in the forefront of your right of your mind, almost I encourages, encourages you to seize the fucking day. You know, it's so cliche, but seize the fucking day. You know, you start with one day, ends up being a week, ends up being a month and it ends up being a year and you will have lulls. You will drop off the edge. And, and it's going to happen, guys. And, and, and that has happened in micro cycles, micro cycles and macro cycles. So um, one thing that I always say to people who are on prep, like competition bodybuilding prep, um, is like, how does you feel? How does your productivity feel? 99% of people say it goes up because they've got a goal and they're hitting them every single day. So they're hitting their macros, they're hitting their steps, they're hitting their cardio, they're focusing on their sleep, they're getting their workouts in, you know, all these little tiny goals. Yes, okay, they're in fitness and they don't have to be in fitness, but these little tiny goals that just get ticked off and ticked off those of you guys that follow me during my prep you heard me ticking boxes i said it every day people got sick of me saying it i'm just ticking boxes ticking boxes but ticking those boxes like they it feels good it feels actually like satisfying to know that i've ticked off those boxes for the day and i'm getting closer to my goal and it's what's that what uh this is when you have too much mental juice before by A-list nutrition. Oh my God, my words are coming out too fast. This is what happens when you hit small goals over a long period of time. You end up staying on track to your end goal way longer. And, you know, people fall off, you know, you ever feel that mental lapse or that little lull in life? I feel like that's just the way that life is. It undulates in highs and lows and peaks and troughs. Um, and then obviously how you you play it determines how high the peaks, how low the troughs and how you deal with it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so 
these small achievable goals going to that long term goal is like how I keep my mindset straight. And I think building on something as simple as waking up at the same time, honestly, like it's, it's so simple. You just tick that box, done, cool. Breakfast at the same time, cool. Then I'm going to go train, cool. Then I'm going to do client work, cool. Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to play an hour of Fortnite. I don't care if that's like, if people see that that's not a job or that's not doing anything right. That's benefiting me. It's relaxing my mind. It's making me do something I enjoy. Um, and it's engaging me for an hour that I don't want to be doing work. You know, that's another thing. Balance, balancing everything. It keeps your mindset straight. Everything that you do needs to keep, needs to keep in mind your mind, you know? So, um, does this decision going to affect me down later down the line? Um, is that decision going to fuck me up in the long term? <laughs> All of these things um, help a better mindset. So yeah, I, I kind of just wanted to rant about like what I'm observing about people. Um, this is not necessarily like telling you how to get out of that routine. It's just maybe just reckon, maybe even just recognizing that you're in in that routine of of not confronting problems. Maybe not you know phone calling that person because you don't want to hear what they're going to say if they if they don't agree with what you're going to say maybe you've got a business opportunity that that you want to approach but you're a bit nervous about it you know it's the same you know when I was applying for jobs and I wanted to go to interviews I was petrified to even go to interviews it's just like I I understand it and and I'll probably go through something similar again I still feel similar when I'm trying to talk to to people who are you know high up in the industry or, or brands and they they ask me what what could I offer? And I, I get a bit nervous thinking, am I even worth this? Am I worth that? Um, and I think it's a real problem. I think it's a real problem. And I think with just time, consistency, and just and just just thinking about it and being mindful of what you're doing. So even if you go through that practice of um, maybe avoiding the situation, um, understand that you did that and like listen to yourself that you did that and be the watcher. Um, I remember reading. Um, I didn't read all of it, I'll be honest, but I read part of a book um, called The Power of Now. And the book was basically just, it was talking about how you need to live in the now, but also be the passenger and be the watcher of what's happening in the now. So um, the way the book describes it is imagine yourself kind of above yourself and another person having a conversation. If you were viewing and listening to that conversation, would you agree with what you were saying? Would you agree with with how you are reacting? And if you can be like that in the moment um, and be impartial, you know, to both sides, even yourself, such a powerful tool to become like the master of your own energy, the master of your your own moods, you know, emotions, mental uh, capacity, all that kind of stuff. And it allows you to to question both sides and, and make sure you're not going down one route that could be wrong or one route that has two sides. And something I try to do in everyday practice is just imagine myself on every, like both sides. There's always two ways to look about it. And I think it's so important to do that. It keeps you grounded and it keeps you, I think empathy is just so important. I really, I really think it is. People are always going through worse than you. People, you don't know what other people are going through. Um, so no matter what you say, it could affect someone in the right or wrong way. Um, and I think just trying to remain that watcher. So as you can tell over the kind of the last three podcasts, including this, I love human psychology. I love like social interactions on a micro and macro level, micro being pretty much kind of like what we see day to day, macro being, you know, governments, policies, power, money, war, 
you know, the reasons behind things, the human psychology behind things, um, is fucking crazy, to be honest, you know, once you delve into those deep parts of YouTube that we've all been, um, and you end up on 10 conspiracy theories, and then you, you find five that you're like, oh my god, this is amazing, like, I love all of that kind of stuff, and that's my kind of thing, but I also love fitness, health, biohacking, um, human optimization, so I'm definitely going to be talking more about that on the on the podcast, but what I want to talk about today is something very close to my heart, and it's how to train, how you should be training. And now this is going to be pretty much dialed towards the bodybuilder. Um, obviously, some principles can be applied across disciplines, so athletes, powerlifters, all that kind of stuff. You, the, the principles are probably pretty similar. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about is intent, guys. AJ Morris, shout out to you. He's been talking about this for a while now. Training with fucking intent. Know why you're training. Whether that, even whether that's like, I just want to be a bit healthier. Like, know that's why you're doing it, and you're going to have a better more productive workout whether that's training for um, bodybuilding powerlifting athletics you know train with intent and you will you know prosper way way more in terms of progression Um, and actually fucking just training hard you know training close to the limit we know that our bodies are at that adaptation machines and in order to adapt we need to send that signal to our body that we need to adapt Um, Now, in bodybuilding, that comes in the form of pushing weights, and we know that comes in the form of pushing weights with intensity. Uh, We need a minimum intensity, for sure. Um, It's very difficult to say, like, what what minimum intensity, because it's going to be very individual, but if you were to put um, a scale of one to five, five being absolute maximal intensity, um, most studies are showing that if you train with, like, a 3.5 and above, um, preferably, like, a four, probably on a bigger scale, like a a seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, that is what you need to send that signal to our bodies in order to progress, adapt, and grow more muscle. Um, and then obviously, if we combine that with progressive overload, um, along with a calorie surplus, we're going to lead to muscle growth. So balancing all of those things, so sending that set, that signal frequently enough, which is a huge thing in bodybuilding, training frequency, and, and I'm sure actually it probably is in, in other things as well, in athletics, I can imagine sprinters do that very frequently as well. Um, we need to send that signal frequently. Now, if we're sending that cell that signal frequently to our muscles to grow, i.e. we're training legs three times a week, we're squatting three times a week, we are telling our body three times a week that we need to uh, grow more muscle, essentially, is what's happening if we're training intense enough, if we're progressing on the week before, and if we're in a calorie surplus, we're pretty much sending a very good signal to, to grow more muscle. Um, but we need to balance how many times we we send this signal with how much of the signal we send. This is a very, like... Um, layman's terms right now this is not exactly how it works Um, and by how much of the signal we send um, I'm going to use that as volume so we have a certain amount of volume that we can probably stand per week Um, I'm going to use a very placid number at 20 sets for our legs let's say we can use a week and we know if we do 20 sets a week um, we're going to grow and now how you split that volume over the week um, and how frequently is going to help you um, recover and it's going to help you send that cells, that signal to the cells um, frequently enough and in an amount that's going to cause a change. Um, so but those are pretty much like my top tips when I talk to anyone about, about training. How's your training intensity? How frequently are you training and how much of volume are you doing? Um, and we know that hypertrophy so muscle building is based very strongly um, around volume um, and and strength as well we know that those are are two hypertrophic um, 
facilitators. Um, so if you are stronger, probably you've got more muscle, if that makes sense. And then if you are pushing volume up over time, um, along with progressive overload, along with eating properly, and along with uh, training at that minimum intensity that we talked about, um, odds are you've probably got more muscle as well. As long as your minimum intensity is being hit, um, you are going to be in a pretty good position to grow. So the biggest thing for me is intensity. People don't push themselves as far as they think they can go. Now, ideally, in a, in a real world, I'd want all my clients to come train with me once, understand how far you can push them and how far they can push themselves, and then they can go off of that as the scale. But more often than not, people's 10 out of 10 or 5 out of 5 um, is really a 7 out of 10 or a, or a 3 out of 5, and they can push themselves for those few extra reps. It's a little bit different in terms of like... Um like a gravity-based exercise, like a bench press, like pretty much when you fail is when you fail rather than getting more out without a spot. Um, but things that you, like compound movements that you can pull a little bit more in, a bit more muscle here, a bit more muscle there, pretty much compound movements, um, you can always get more. You can always get more. And until you understand, you can get more. And until you understand and you've reached that peak of failure, failure, we're talking balls to the wall failure, then I think is the best way um, for you to get your scale and to work off that minimum intensity. Um, so I always ask people, go look at Dorian's videos, go see how far he pushes himself. That is an RPE 10, mate. You know, that is like true failure. Um, so work off that, work intense, balance your volume, balance your frequency, and that is how you should train, guys. Um, and then if, if you want to talk about splits and body parts, definitely go head over to my Instagram because I, I always post things about how you should split your body parts up, full body, upper, lower body, push, pull, legs, even single body parts for, for certain people if they need to, to bring up things specifically. Um, and I talk about that stuff way, way more training cycles, micro cycles, mesocycles, cycles, um, and balancing all that stuff. But I wanted to talk about intensity today because people lack it. People just lack it. And that goes in everyday life. Um, so take that intensity, use it, abuse it and make it your bitch. So then guys, my normal rant is over. If you've got this far as always, thank you. Um, please do like, if you ever have feedback for this, you can leave a review or you can, you know, if it's a bad review, maybe just message me on Instagram first. We can make it a good one. Joking. Um, and yeah, and just like, let me, let me know the feedback if you like these bullshit talks at the beginning, because I just love doing them. Just talking about the world, all that kind of thing. Um, but we move into our questions, three questions. We try to go a little bit deeper in than, than a normal, like an Instagram Q and A would be, um, and talk a bit about, talk about, talk a bit about them. Um, and you can always get your question answered if you message me on Instagram at any point. Um, I'll, probably I'll probably start doing a post once a week and just have people comment on there and I'll choose the best one. So this question comes from the Bikini Doctor. She says, I have a question, probably not podcast worthy. Well, it is. So thank you for asking. Um, when aiming for lean muscle gain, how much rest is optimal? Now, the reason why I want to choose this is because it's so dependent, but I can give you some advice as to what is optimal. So optimal being the most unique thing to each person ever what's optimal for me might not be optimal for you um process of elimination that is how i suggest you go about this so maybe you start on i assume that you're training right now maybe keep doing that plan right now are you recovering well are you progressing on everything is your glute hip thrust going up versus the last week is your overall volume going up 
Um, and are you still recovering well, feeling fine? Doms aren't too long. Um, Concentration is pretty good. Your CNS doesn't feel fried. If those things are fine, odds are that your recovery days are pretty solid anyway. Um, if that's two a week, you could probably stay at two a week. Maybe what you could do is, is push to just one rest day a week and then notice any difference. If there's any difference, maybe your cognitive function goes down because uh, you used a little bit more energy. Maybe your CNS is a little bit more fried. Maybe you haven't recovered as well for that sixth session. Maybe your weights go down on that session. Maybe you can't increase the volume on that session. It's all about internal feedback. What do you feel? Um, generally what I do is set people up based off what they're doing in their life. If they don't have time for four days, they've, uh, for five days training, they've inherently got three days rest time. So you need to make the workouts match the rest time. So if you're working out six times a week and you have one day rest, those workouts cannot absolutely batter you because you've only got one day rest. If you've got two days rest, you can probably put the intensity up a little bit on those five days. If you've got three days rest, so four days a week, maybe you're doing upper, lower, upper, lower, you can probably push those four days pretty damn hard because you've got three like full rest days um, in that in your week. So basically balancing rest days alongside um, everything that you're doing, your full workout split, your training, your macros, your um, your cardio, your daily steps, like listening to all of those variables, understanding them and understanding um, your recovery process that's what's going to give you the most optimal amount of rest for your lean gain period. And then ultimately, are you lean gaining? Like, what's the difference month to month? What's the difference week to week? Six months to six months, year to year. Are you lean gaining? Are you visually getting bigger? Um, and are you feeling bigger? And are, is the weight scale going up as well? So combining all of those things will lead you to the most optimal day's rest. I hope that made sense. I feel like that did. Probably didn't. Okay, so next question comes from Sam underscore Woods. People are loving this at the moment, but I don't know, I'm not sure why. Question, is there a best time to smoke weed post-training and do you binge whilst high? So is there a best time to smoke? There's no real best time to smoke. You don't need to smoke. Like smoking isn't doesn't, doesn't need to happen in your life. Like if you're not smoking weed at the moment, if you're not in, ingesting cannabis in any way at the moment, you don't need to do that. Like you don't necessarily need to do that for any reason. Um, unless you have like um, any, any kind of God, I'm all over the place today. Any medicinal problems um, that could be benefited from cannabis, then of course, then yeah, take cannabis. Um, but the reason I think he might be asking this is because a few weeks ago, maybe last podcast I said it, I'm not sure. Um, I said that a smoking weed post-workout can actually bring you back down to a parasympathetic state, um, which is basically just a state more ready to digest, more ready to relax, more ready to recover. Um, as, as if we train, um, things get very very heightened in terms of senses adrenaline you know fight or flight mode we go into we go into that mode and and, and survival mode so i think that's what he's saying so um i never encourage drugs on my, on my podcast i never encourage drugs in, in in life or at all and i always you should if you if you are consuming drugs you need to go to the highest quality product that you can um, and know where everything's coming from but if you were to use that it would just be just straight straight after your workout you know no, no rush within within an hour um, and just, just sit down and relax. But I'd combine that with sitting down and relaxing, and I'd argue, actually, that sitting down and relaxing would bring you back down into the same state um, that cannabis would anyway. So you definitely don't need that at all. Um, and do you have a binge whilst high? No, no, I don't. Well, it's pretty difficult to now that I'm bulking. Anyway, it probably actually helps me at the moment that I'm bulking. Um, but while I'm cutting, to be honest, I just tactically smoke um, before before 
before meals. Um, I tend to smoke a lot later in the day um, as well. So yeah, thank you very much, Sam Woods. Appreciate it. So third and final question. This is a double cannabis question. So apologies if you guys are just not interested in that topic. Um, it's a topic quite close to home for me. So I thought this would be quite a nice one to touch and finish on. James Ball 9 asks, heard you touch briefly on cannabis use, but would be interesting to hear your views on the war on drugs and the stigmatization of steroids and other recreational drugs. So for me, this is just a money game. Um, we are now finding that a lot of recreational drugs are be using are be being used medicinally. Um, we know that cannabis has uh, so many so many different uses um, for everyone from young to old. Um, ketamine is used in 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 the NHS now for painkillers, sedatives, and actually antidepression, um, along with microdosing LSD. We know that, that that helps with depression as well. It can actually help with PTSD and getting over things like war and huge traumatic stress in people's lives. Um, we know that variations of heroin are like morphine, so painkillers, um, and pretty much everything can be used in and nearly is used in in the NHS and 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 in the uh, the world as such. But it's a money thing, guys. Um, the reason why why we keep these things um, off the street is because we know they're going to start curing diseases. We know they're going to start um, helping with all kinds of problems, human health problems, um, and and we just ignore it. It's it's it's, it's a bit like the war on. Um, war on sugar like that's never really going to go away because sugar makes too much money um and and the same thing the same thing really here and i think these things are really only going to become decriminalized um legal um when they can really produce mass profit for the government um and i think cannabis will be the next one to be legalized or decriminalized for medicinal purposes which it should be anyway considering alcohol and cigarettes are on two biggest killers in the world in the fucking world and they're and they're legal by the way um and i think that'll be the next one to come you know we're just looking at america now we could seeing all the stats coming out of um all the the legalization states all the decriminalization states um of cannabis they're making money off tax and they are wealthy and uh and i can only imagine that that the the uk is going to follow um but actually what what we find is um, there's very few countries in the world that have fully decriminalized every drug, Portugal being one of them. Um, I remember, actually, guys, I did uh, criminology um, as my um, university degree. So a lot of this was a, a big part of my of my degree, learning about drugs and, and, and different countries' policies on drugs. Um, and Portugal has a full decriminalization of every single drug. So if you're caught with heroin, um, you don't get a criminal record. Your, your life isn't ruined. Um, and actually, uh, you get put into uh, like a rehab center and something to help you or your future and help you wean off if you've got an addiction, if you've got a problem. Because what they find is, is most people don't have an addiction and don't have a problem and they just use that as their recreational go-to. So people aren't getting fucked over for smoking a bit of weed on the beach with their friends on the weekend after a long week of work, earning money and paying tax, you know, and they're not losing their livelihoods over doing that. Um, and I think that's amazing. And I think that is the way forward. It's forward thinking. Um, it's more plausible, you know, especially when it comes to things like cannabis um, or any other non-lethal, non-toxic drugs. Um, I think I think it's a bit ridiculous to be honest. It doesn't really make sense, but it's a money-making business. Um, so until all of these drugs can make the money for the, 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 the government, I, I can't see them being being anywhere. But... There's always hope, and where there's hope, 
there is a will and whether the will there's a will there's a way so um i hope these things will be looked at more professionally um if you guys remember David Nutt, he was like, I think he was like the chancellor of the NHS or, the, or something like that. And I remember he released um, stats one one year, which is why he got sacked actually, because he was saying all this stuff, was that horse riding is more lethal than both cannabis, MDMA, LSD. Um, absolutely crazy. Like there was, I think there was something like 30, 40 deaths per year on, from horse riding versus like 12 to 13 um, MDMA cases per, per year and, and most of those were from taking pills which are like mixed substances pressed together um, which is absolutely crazy and, and then he got sacked from that so until we can have a figurehead who can't be moved um, can't be sacked it's going to be very difficult to decriminalize all of those things but I do think that cannabis is very very close um, and that's great um, I hope you guys don't mind the drug talk um, some people enjoy it some people don't enjoy it I appreciate you don't if you don't enjoy it it's not for everyone um so just let me know. Feedback is king, internal and external. So I appreciate you guys for stopping by. This is the Bridging the Gap podcast. I'll see you in the next one. I can't wait for it. Peace, guys.